Um, <laughs> you know, the deal is, man, I, I, I do see people out there every week that, I mean, this is the first time they're here. And, man, I, if they've taken the time to come to this place, man, I want them to get the full meal deal, you know? Yeah, yeah, and I, I meant to talk to y'all about that, too. You've been leaving me out high to dry for the last two weeks, man. Remember we talked about y'all being connected with the preacher. Remember we went to Nehemiah, and we saw how, how Ezra stood on the pulpit of wood and, and preached, and, and the people, they stood up, and they were responding. And, man, is it because we've been talking about the tongue? And everybody's a little bit nervous to say amen because we're all going oh me instead of amen <laughs> okay well now get over it okay <laughs> we need to you need to work with me a little bit here I, I'm feeling like I'm you know the only one working around here and it's no fun so there you go I like it we're gonna we're on a roll right now in a nutshell what we're trying to do is there's a group of people in Revelation chapter 14 that are called the 144,000 that when they hit this earth and they carry out the work that God has for them, they do the job so incredibly that they stand as a great example for those of us that we refer to as Laodiceans. We refer to ourselves as Laodiceans because in Revelation chapter 3, as our Lord is concluding his uh, overview of church history through the seven letters that he writes, we are now living in the final period of church history. Written, the letter written to the church of the Laodiceans. It means the rights of the people. And that's the period of time that we're living in right now where God's people are looking for what's in this for me. And we think some things are true of us when Jesus said, actually, the exact opposite is true. So we've been trying to learn some things. And what all the things that we have, have been covering, there's visible evidence of this group's identification with the Father. There ought to be visible evidence in the life of everybody that names the name of Christ. There's audible evidence that this group is connected with the Lamb and the Father. They have a song that nobody else can learn. We've been seeing, we have a song that nobody else can learn too. And then there's speech. The, the speech that they have. L listen, listen to what's true of the 144,000. And in their mouth, there was found no guile. Now, you know what? Little statements like that, you know, you just kind of read over those. That is a monumental statement, is it not? That in their mouth for seven solid years on this planet after they come to know the Lord Jesus Christ as their Savior, not once in seven years is any guile found in their mouth. And because there's no guile found in their mouth, what the Lord says is they are faultless before my throne. And what we've been seeing is there's another group of people in the Bible who are faultless before the throne, and check it out, it's us, y'all. Positionally in Christ, we are faultless. The Lord Jesus Christ, God's Son, when God looks at us, He sees us in Christ, He sees us faultless before the throne. And because we are, there ought to be some things that are true about our speech. And we've been looking at this whole thing of, of the tongue, We've been talking about the fact that there's three ways that guile is found in the mouths of Laodiceans. And first and foremost is very, and, and, and this is the most obvious, it's, it, it almost goes without saying, but there's guile found in our mouth by the things that we say with our lips. The things that we say with our lips. And if that you should be able to find that somewhere on your study sheet. I think that's number one. That, that you have there. I, I'm, I, I read this past week and just uh, all this whole thing about the words we speak in the tongue that the average person speaks 11 million words in a year. Now some of y'all bring the average up a lot. <laughs> 11 million words. And check this out. Half of them are me, my, mine, and I. Is that wild? 11 million of them. A lot of opportunity for guile.
to be found in our mouth. And in Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 29, why don't we go back there? It's kind of been a, a key place for us. Peter tells us that what is true of the 144,000 is to be true of, of us. He tells us in 1 Peter 3.10 that we're to refrain our tongue from evil and our lips that they speak no guile. And Paul echoes the same basic thought in Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 29. And we spent some time looking at this this morning. He says, let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth. In other words, no guile, not even a little bit. Let no corrupt communication come out of your mouth, but that which is good to the use of edifying, that it may minister grace unto the hearers. And we, we cross-referenced all through the Proverbs today about the importance of our words and how those words can minister grace. Just our words or those same words can also be like a knife to inflict pain, to cause injury, to cause hurt. even says in the Proverbs that there's power in the tongue for death or for life. And, and we've been trying as a church to just get back to some of the, the, the real basics of this Christian life thing. And remember that we are a body and there are people in this church who do struggle. And sometimes we struggle. We don't always have it all together. And sometimes we walk in here and we are weary. And we, we've got to turn a corner, guys. When we come in here, we come with anticipation to worship. We come with anticipation to be fed some things from the Word of God. But we also come with anticipation of being an encouragement to other people around us. In fact, it, that's what the Bible tells us. That's why we come together. Hebrews 10.25, Forsake not the assembling of yourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhort one another, encourage one another, and so much the more so as you see the day approaching. It's tough, y'all. The day is approaching. We assemble together, and when we come together, hey, come to give. Give worship to God. And come to give love to your brothers and sisters. And the writer of Hebrews says in chapter 3, Encourage one another. Anyone know the next word? Daily. Lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. And it's time that we just turn a corner in here and we begin to understand the power of the tongue in a negative sense and the power of the tongue in a positive sense. Did you love what Isaiah said this morning in Isaiah 50 and verse 4? The Lord's taught me how to use my mouth to help weary people. He's, he's done some things in my hearing to allow me to hear what people say and allow me to hear what people don't say so that I can use my mouth to be used as an instrument to bring life and to pump life into those people. To minister, as Ephesians 4.29 says, to minister grace to the hearers. Do you remember what grace is? It's the desire and the power to obey God. And our responsibility with this instrument that is behind our teeth is to use that to pump life into people, to minister grace to them. And, and would you look, just, just keep reading in the context here. And grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby ye are sealed unto the day of redemption. Now, is it not interesting? Now, you, you've read that verse all your life, but is it not interesting to see where it comes in the context? It comes in the context of the tongue. And you just got to wonder, y'all, if through some of the things that we say to and about people, if this isn't one key area where we grieve the Holy Spirit of God because of the stuff that proceeds out of our mouth. Look at verse 31. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking. And we talked last week about the fact that when you're bitter, when you're full of wrath and anger and clamor, it is going to come out of your mouth. And what he says here, 
Let all of that be put away from you with all malice, and be ye kind one to another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven you. Be ye therefore followers of God as dear children, and walk in love. It's, it's, it's everything that we've been talking about, isn't it? This is what he's called us to, to love one another and to put all of this trash, all of this anger and wrath and malice and blasphemy and all this stuff that proceeds out of the mouth, get it out of there. Be followers of God as dear children and walk in love as Christ also has loved us and hath given himself for us an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling savor. But fornication and all uncleanness or covetousness, let it not be once named among you as becometh saints. Watch verse 4 now. Neither filthiness, nor foolish talking, nor jesting, which are not convenient, but rather giving of thanks. What comes out of our mouth ought to just always be showing the gratitude of our hearts. And he says, now listen, this, this foolish jesting, and some of the things that come out of our mouth, you know what? We live in a culture that, that, that likes to laugh. And, and you know what some of us do? For the sake of humor, we compromise our mouth. But the, like we've been talking about, though, the reason it comes out of our mouth is because it's in our all this fornication and uncleanness and all this stuff that he's talking about in verse 3, that filthiness begins to come out of the mouth and this foolish talking and, and, and jesting that now around here it wouldn't fly if it's just totally off color. And so we just come this close. And he says, now listen, that, that has absolutely no part whatsoever in the words of somebody that claims to be a believer in Jesus Christ. So, there's guile that's found in our mouth. And for you folks that haven't been here, oh my goodness, we've been raked over the coals in the last two weeks. Amen? Good. I, you know, misery loves company. But we've been, we've been raked over the coals over this thing of our, our mouth. And the thing that hurts so much, I mean, if it was just a matter of we're going to do better and we're going to keep our mouth shut, that'd be one thing. That'd be the good news. But what Jesus said in Matthew 15 is the killer, is the reason it comes out of our mouth is because it's in our hearts. It's indicative of a heart problem. So there, there's guile that's found in our mouth because of the things that we say with our lips. And yet there's a group of you folks that's been kicking back for the last two Sundays now and just kind of enjoying this whole ride because you know what? You just, you never say anything about anybody else. And, and some of you are thinking in your mind, now you'd never say this because you, you, there's no guile found in your mouth with the things you say with your lips. But some of you are thinking, I'm glad he's finally saying something about this. And the second way that guile is found in our mouth, now this is going to sound real strange to you, but through the things that we don't say, the things that we don't say. You know, some of you folks, you were just born, and, and may, not maybe. Maybe had your upbringing been a little bit different, maybe, maybe your personality would have been just a little bit different, but there's lots of us who are quiet, passive people, at least outwardly. And some of you folks that never say a word, you know that what goes on on the inside of you is quite a different thing. You just don't really say everything that's in, inside of you. But, but a lot of you have been able to sit back for the last two Sundays now and say, yeah, 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 well, this is at least one area of the Christian life that I've, I've got down. But not, Now listen, and this is on your study sheet. Guile in your mouth will not only make you say things, 
Guile in your mouth will not only make you say things, guile in your mouth will sometimes keep you from saying things that need to be said. Did you get that? Guile in your mouth sometimes keeps you from saying things that need to be said. Ecclesiastes chapter 3 and verse 7. Most of you are familiar with this verse. You don't need to turn there. There is a time to keep silent, the Bible says. But, no, there is also, y'all, a time to speak. Hello? There is a time when you better learn to open your mouth about some things. And for you to hold some things in your mouth when the Bible says it's time to speak, you know what? All of a sudden, that becomes guile in your mouth. When there is a time to speak biblically, and you don't open your mouth to speak it, those words that ought to be coming out of your mouth, held in your mouth, become guile in your mouth. In the book of Esther, chapter 4 and verse 14, you don't need to turn there. You, most of you know the story. Mordecai says to Esther, he, he comes to her and he says, now listen, let me talk to you, Esther. What he says is if you keep your mouth shut right now, the whole nation of Israel is going to go down the tubes. If you keep your mouth shut right now, that's what's going to happen. And he says, and who knows, maybe... You have come for such a time as this. I mean, the pressure is on now. You know what I'm saying? Maybe your whole life comes to this moment, Esther. So don't blow it by keeping your mouth shut. There is a time to be silent. But there is most definitely, y'all, a time to speak. In the book of Luke, chapter 19, verses 37 to 40, it's, it's the triumphal entry. And, and here, oh, oh my, all the disciples, it says the multitude of the disciples, they're singing Hosanna and blessed be the name of the Lord. And it's driving the Pharisees crazy. And they, they say to the Lord, hey, rebuke them and tell them to shut up. You remember what Jesus said? You remember? Hey, fellas, listen, if they shut up right now, the rocks would cry out. Hey, this is, this is the way it ought to be. They ought to be saying something right now. There is a most definitely a time to speak. Look on your study sheet. Just as the words we speak let us know what is in our hearts, sometimes the words we don't speak let us know what is not in our hearts. You tracking with that? Sometimes in certain occasions, when we are not compelled to speak, it's indicative of the fact that we have got a heart problem. Now, for the last two Sundays, we've been talking about this, this incredible heart problem that we have that causes us to say all of these things that we ought not to say, and now it's the absolute opposite of it. Sometimes, because of what's not in our hearts, there are things that ought to come out of our mouth that don't come out. And you don't hear too much about this because, quite honestly, there's a whole lot more of us that need to shut up than speak up, but some of you... Some of us that are always speaking things, it's weird how at the time we ought to be speaking, we're silent. And the times we ought to be silent, we're speaking. There are some things that need to be said. And you know what's kind of wild? You begin to look in the Bible and you begin to find that there, there is a heart condition that people get that's diagnosed through their mouth. It's a rare thing. It's, you, you see it on your study sheet there? Do you know how you pronounce that? 
you, you pronounce that, I can't help it, as the black preacher says. I can't help it. You know what? Sometimes what's going on inside of your heart causes you to be so compelled that you can't help but say something. Pastor Frank, his New Year's resolution is, I'm going to say positive things. <laughs> he, he, he said in our pastor's meeting this week, but sometimes I just can't because I see these things. And you know what? You can't always keep your mouth shut because sometimes that heart condition gets you to where you just can't have it. Jeremiah got a real bad case over in Jeremiah chapter 20. I want you to see his case of the I can't help it. Man, this is, you know, I'm just telling you, I wish I was black. I've said, you know, I'm a very mediocre white preacher. But man, I, I believe I could do that, the black thing. You know, getting into the rhythm and, and you know what, I think you guys would probably respond to it. Oh, listen, Jeremiah got a case of the I can't have it. Yeah. Oh, son, look. Look at what he says in Jeremiah chapter 20 and verse 9. Yeah. Jeremiah said, I will not make mention of him nor speak any more in his name. Oh, listen. But his word was in mine heart as a burning fire shut up in my bones. And I was weary with forbearing, and I could not stay. You understand the I can't help it? He says, you know what? I, I got to the place to where I'm, I'm preaching my guts out, and all it did was ever, it caused me conflict. And he said, I got to the place to where I said, that's it. I ain't, I ain't saying another thing. but something started happening on the inside. There was a burning. <laughs> something just got down inside of me that was burning inside of, my, inside of my bones. And I tried to keep my mouth shut and it was wearing me out because there was this fire that was just raging on the inside. And I, I said, I can't help it. I got to say something. And he, you know what he did? He preached that book. And you know what? They still didn't listen to him. Who cares? There's a time to be silent, but there is a time to step up to the plate and speak. Hey, hey, Jeremiah says, listen, it was burning down inside of my very being. I couldn't take it. Hey, go, go over to Acts chapter 4. Man, it's a lot more fun to do the black thing, isn't it? <laughs> Acts chapter 4, here, here's Peter and John. And they get a pretty major dose of the I can't help it over here. Acts chapter 4. Now, here, here they've, been, they've been preaching. And they bring them in. And they, and they just beat them. And they say, now, that'll show you. Now just keep your mouth shut. They go out and they do it again. And look at what it says, verse 19. But Peter and John answered and said unto them, Whether it be right in the sight of God to hearken unto you more than to God, unto God judge ye. Here it is. For we cannot but speak the things which we have seen and heard. There's no way that you can shut us up about this. We can't help but speak. Have you ever gotten to the place to where... You had to open your mouth because of the truth of God. There is a time to speak. And when we don't open our mouth to speak it, it becomes guile in our mouth. And you see, it's, it, hey, again, most of us need to learn to keep our mouth shut. But there is a time when you do need to speak. And maybe the things that you speak aren't going to be the things that everybody thinks are so nice and so lovely. Go over to Acts chapter 17. 
Acts 17, and Paul comes down with this, this dreaded heart disease over here. Acts chapter 17, verse 16. Now while Paul waited for them at Athens, his spirit was stirred in him when he saw the city wholly given to idolatry. Therefore, because his spirit was so stirred, he disputed he in the synagogue with the Jews. Go over to chapter 18 and look at verse 5. And when Silas and Timotheus were come from Macedonia, Paul was pressed in the spirit and testified to the Jews that Jesus was Christ. Have you ever been pressed in the spirit so that you had to open your mouth? You know, I, and I don't say this to, you know, feather any cap. I, I, let, let me just tell you about a time when just as a kid, I got a case of the I can't help it. And I wasn't, I didn't even know that it was coming. Uh, you know, I, I'm on... Uh, my senior year, I transferred to a, a, a Christian school. God was just trying to prepare me for that Bible college thing. I don't think I could have made it without that senior year in the, the reform school or the Christian school that I was in. Um, and, and we had this deal at the end of the year, this patriotic thing that we were, we were doing, and you know all the seniors were putting it on. I had one paragraph, y'all. One stupid paragraph. Comes time, the light comes on. Here I am. I can't remember a word of the stinking thing. Of you, <laughs> you know, I, I felt like such a chump. I mean, I, I just blew it. They finally put the light off. <laughs> the next week, we're we're on our senior trip. We're in Washington D.C. This is 1975. Okay, and. I never, you know, I, where I lived in Miami, we didn't go downtown very much. I'm sure these, these people were there too. But the, the Hare Krishnas, you, did you guys ever go to any big cities back in those days and see them, you know, with the shaved head and ponytail and all that kind of a deal? And so here they are. They got the Lubongo thing that's, that's working, you know, and they're all, hey, how are you? Hey, how are you? You know, doing their, all, all this little thing. And, and here's all these people, man, just coming to check out what, what this group's all about. And they're all just standing all around. And I'm, I'm just kind of, you know, never seen anything like this before, just taking it all in, you know. And so they, they got all this thing going. And then they start, after the song is done, and here's hundreds of people all around, they start distributing this literature and start talking about Hare Krishna, the God, the true God. And I started getting the I can't help it. I'm just a stupid little kid, man. I don't know anything. But I said, hundreds of people, hey, hey, listen, that, that's a bunch of trash that they're handing y'all right there. Let me tell you something. There is one true God, and his name is Jesus Christ, and he died on the cross, and he was buried, and he rose again. And that's, that's what this thing is really all about. Uh, you, you can take that stuff, but it's a bunch of trash. And I'm like, where'd that come from? <laughs> you know what it was? I can't help it. You know what? I, I believe with all my heart. That was a call right there. It was a time to speak. Jesus got a pretty bad case of it, y'all. Over Matthew 23. All the way through the Gospel of Matthew, what you find going on is the Lord Jesus Christ is fulfilling prophecy before those who knew the prophecy very well, namely the scribes and the Pharisees, the ruling council and the nation of Israel. It's been more than evident who he is. It's become very, very clear who he is. And in the face of everything that he's doing to fulfill those prophecies, they are saying that he is from Beelzebub. They are attributing the power through which he is operating to the, the power uh, of Satan. 
And it finally comes down to a case of the I can't help it. And I want you to see what happened to Jesus. And now before we get into this, let, let, me, just, let me just tell you. You're going to have to be very discerning on this thing of guile. Because you see, we, are, we tend to think that anytime somebody gets bold about truth, and sometimes when somebody is saying, this is the way that it is, we think, that's guile, man. They, they're just mean-spirited. And there comes a time to speak. And sometimes the words that you're called to speak, the world may call them guile. God calls them guile if you keep them in. And watch what he does with these religious leaders. Look at what he says in verse 13. But woe unto you, scribes and, and Pharisees, hypocrites. Verse 14. Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. Verse 15. Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. Verse 16. Woe unto you, ye blind guides. Verse 17. Ye fools and blind. Verse 19. Ye fools and blind. Verse 23, woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. Verse 24, ye blind guides. Verse 25, woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. You know what? He's, it's like he's got them against the ropes, you know? Bam, 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 bam. Hypocrite, 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 hypocrite. Whoa, 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 you blind guy. Excuse me. I got, I got carried away there for a second. Listen. People say to us, you know, you, you guys are just too hard. You guys say some, some stuff that really isn't loving. You guys ought to be more like Jesus. seems like you guys build your ministry on Paul. You know, Paul's calling Hymenaeus and Alexander and delivered them to Satan. And, hey, you ladies there in, uh, in the church of Philippi, uh, Yodius and Syntyche, would y'all get along? And y'all do know that Demas has forsaken me. You guys call names and things. You know what? <sighs> I'm not real sure y'all want us to build our ministry after the pattern of Jesus. If you've got that attitude. I ask you, did he sin when he did that? Uh-uh. Because there comes a time when you open your mouth and you speak. And sometimes not everybody is going to think that what you said was what you were supposed to say. But you know that if you didn't say it, beguile found in your mouth go over to Revelation chapter 2 I'm just glad I didn't go on that tangent on the pulpit y'all my, my hand is still messed up from that deal man <laughs> Revelation chapter 2 writing to the church at Ephesus he says I know thy works and thy labor and thy patience, and how thou canst not bear them which are evil, and thou hast tried them which say they are apostles and are not, and hast found them liars. Now again, people in Laodicea don't think that you ought to ever try people and find out that when they are teaching something that's false, they don't think that you ought to call them liars. I'm just telling you, this comes in the passage where the Lord is commending this church for the fact that they, they were hardworking and they were given all diligence to all the things they ought to be diligent about. And they were discerning enough with the Word of God to be able to figure out who was not for real. And when they found somebody that was standing up who wasn't really, truly speaking for God, though they claimed to be, this is a church that said, you know what, pal? You are a liar. Begin to talk to the crowd and say, Thus saith the Lord. 
Now, we, in this church, you know what? We stand, and because of the authority of this book, and not because of any personal vendetta, there are sometimes we talk about people that are on the television that are liars. And we call their names. And that's, you know what? That's not guile, y'all. This is, this is something that needs to be done in Laodicea. You know why? Because there are people who are very non-discerning that had watched that stuff and well he, you know what he was holding the Bible and you know he was saying a lot of good things and all of that stuff you know the devil is slick second Corinthians chapter 11 he has ministers who pose as ministers of righteousness and, and listen when when they they show themselves biblically that they are liars I'm just telling you y'all in the midst of this, hey, we've been beating the, the love drum around here. Don't ever fall out of love with this book. Because this book's going to tell you when you do open your mouth. There's a time to be silent, and most of us need to apply that about 99% of the time. But when you really have the love of God in you, you're going to love this book. And when anything violates that book, it's time to open your mouth. And when people in this church who have taken the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, have identified themselves with this body of believers, and their life is not what it's supposed to be, and they're living in sin, it is the responsibility of anybody who finds out that truth to lovingly go to them in the spirit of meekness and open your mouth and love them back to Jesus. And some of you, you, you think that you're so loving because I'm just not that kind of person. guile found in your mouth and the reason that it's found in your mouth is because it's in your heart because you don't care about your brother or your sister and you really don't care about truth now listen I'm not talking about the fact that you know the first time somebody on the job, you know, says, you know, some kind of a, a thing about some movement they're in. You're a liar! No, the word of God's you know. That's not what we're talking about. Okay, so don't go out of here and take it to the extreme. What we're talking about is somebody that stands in a position of leadership, posing to be teaching the word of God, and they are found a liar according to that book. Hey, confront them lovingly. Confront them and try to show them the, the truth. The Bible tells you that a, a heretic, after two times going to them, then, then, then start calling it the way that it is. But, so don't, don't run out of here and, and do that kind of stuff. But, and when it's one of our number and somebody has begun to live in sin and you become aware of it, listen. The reason you became aware of it is because God is wanting you to be the one to speak words of love and admonition to them. Hello? And when you don't, understand. It's guile found in your mouth because of what you don't say. There's a third way that guile is, is found in our mouth. And this is by the things we say with our lips, but unsay with our lives. By the things we say with our lips, but unsay with our lives. 
the, the, the greatest thing about this church is the fact that there are a lot of people who have been equipped in the Word of God as a witness for Jesus Christ and as a discipler of new believers. Well, you do need to understand something. When we're speaking truth with our lips and it's not backed up by our life, it becomes guile. Listen, the truth that we're communicating actually becomes guile because it's not validated by our life. And would you look in Proverbs chapter 14? Proverbs 14, verse 25. A true witness delivereth souls, but a deceitful witness speaketh lies. Let me tell you how this, this pans out practically in Laodicea. Here we are at work, in our neighborhood, our school, wherever that you know may be, and we're telling people about the incredible power that we sang about tonight. The incredible power of Jesus Christ to change our lives. We're telling people about the, the fact that there is a void in every man because of spiritual death that is in, on the inside of every person. And, and what we try to do is we try to feed that, that vacancy, that, that vacuum on the inside of us. And, and our soul is thirsting for things but what it's really thirsting for is God. And, and we're, oh, we're busting all of this out to everybody. When the power of God that we're talking about hasn't changed our lives. And we're still going to the world trying to have the world quench something on the inside of us while at the very time we're telling people, you know, coming to Christ will fill the void that is in your life because every man has inside of him a yearning for God that he reads in a physical way. And we're saying all this stuff, and you know what it is? It's, we're a deceitful witness. For us to be telling people about this incredible power, and, and yet we're still struggling with the same trash that we're struggling with, thinking the same thoughts, doing the same things, having the same attitudes and all of this stuff. Listen, when you become a true witness and the things that you're saying with your mouth about the power of God, when they're evidenced in your life, I promise you the first part of verse 25 is going to be true. God will use you to reach people for Christ. You'll deliver souls. But now listen, the reason of us go year after year after year and don't reach people, we don't deliver souls, because the second part of the verse is true. We're a deceitful witness. And the things that we say that are truth actually become lies because they're not validated in our life. Look at back in chapter 11. And this is what is so sad. Chapter 11, verse 9. And hypocrite with his mouth destroyeth his neighbor. And you know what? What is so sad is that some of the people that attend First Baptist Church have such a bad testimony that the people at work, the people in the neighborhood, that they don't want, if that's what it is to be a believer, I don't want it. Destroy your neighbor. Look over in chapter 12 and verse 2. They speak vanity, every one with his neighbor, with flattering lips and with a double heart do they speak. And would you turn over to the book of James? We've spent quite a bit of time here. I've purposely left off the first part of this passage where James deals with the tongue so that we could come to this point and just, just talk about it for a little bit. James chapter 3, 
in verse 1. He says, My brethren, be not many masters. Okay, now, now listen. This is teachers that, he, that he's talking about. Now this is a church. I'm telling you, this is a good thing. Almost everybody that I'm looking at tonight is a discipler in this church. You are a you are somebody who sits and holds the word of God to minister the word of God to another person, to, to teach them. You are a master, if you will. And what he says is don't be rushing to this this task of, of sitting and teaching other people, knowing here's the reason that you don't want to just rush off into this thing, knowing <coughs> excuse me, knowing that we shall receive the greater condemnation. Now, now listen, when you stand or sit, whatever the case may be, as a teacher of the Word of God, you become more accountable than other people who are not standing and teaching people. Once you take that position, however, you become very, very accountable for the things that you are communicating. And could we just rewind the tape a little bit in our discipleship of, of the people? that are under our, our, our care, do we not sometimes take the Word of God to answer the question that they have surfaced? And are we not telling them with our lips truths of the Word of God? And just busting it right out, I mean, just the way it's supposed to be, while at the very time, what we're telling them is not true in our life. To us, listen, is the greater condemnation. You know what, y'all? Let's just get real gut honest. And, and you know what? I'm, I'm kind of glad that we're doing this on Sunday night because it's basically just us. Because I, I hate talking about this on, on Sunday morning. Some of us come to the giving lesson and teach our disciple all about giving to the Lord and what biblical giving is really all about. And you don't do it. Is that not mind-boggling? I'm just telling you. You better shake yourself and ask yourself how you're doing that. And, and listen, could we not apply this in a lot of other different areas? We'll sit and we'll, 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 we'll teach principles about business, about being, you know, responding to those in authority over us and in government. And we're telling people things that we're not doing in our own business, that we're not doing with our own taxes, that we're not doing as we drive and, and obeying the laws of the land. And, and, and all, we're, we're saying all the right stuff. But it's hypocrisy. It becomes, the truth that we speak becomes guile because of the vessel that it's, that it's coming from. Psalm 28 in verse 3, just, just, just listen to this. The psalmist says, are, are you listening? Draw me not away with the wicked and with the workers of iniquity, which speak peace to their neighbors, but mischief is in their hearts. And you know what a lot of us are doing? We're speaking peace with our disciple and we're saying all the right things when there's mischief in our heart with the things that we're telling them. They're not true in our life. And the psalmist says, Oh, listen. Oh, Lord, please don't let me be drawn away with the wicked, with the workers of iniquity. Workers of iniquity are those that tell people something to do and then it not be characteristic and true in their life. Jeremiah chapter 9. Go back there if you would. 
Jeremiah 9. God is, is, is speaking here. Oh, that my head were waters and mine eyes a fountain of tears, that I might weep day and night for the slain of the daughter of my people. Oh, that I had in the wilderness a lodging place of wayfaring men, that I might leave my people and go from them. For they be all adulterers, an assembly of treacherous men. Watch verse 3 now. And they bend their tongues like their bow for lies. But they are not valiant for the truth upon the earth. For they proceed from evil to evil, and they know not me, saith the Lord. You know what he's saying? With their mouth, they're saying all the right stuff. But they don't have a clue about what they're saying. They don't know me. They proceed from evil to evil. Verse 4, Take ye heed every one of his neighbor, and trust ye not in any brother, for every brother will utter, utterly supplant, and every neighbor will walk with slanders, and they will deceive every one his neighbor, and will not speak the truth. They have taught their tongue to speak lies, and weary themselves to commit iniquity. Living in sin, but speaking truth. But he says it becomes lies. Verse 6, Thy habitation is in the midst of deceit. Through deceit they refuse to know me, saith the Lord. Therefore thus saith the Lord of hosts, Behold, I will melt them and try them. For how shall I do for the daughter of my people? Their tongue is an arrow shot out. It speaketh deceit. One speaketh peaceably to his neighbor with his mouth, but in heart he layeth his weight. Shall I not visit them for these things, saith the Lord? Shall not my soul be avenged on such a nation as this? And it's time in our discipleship, guys, that we stop saying things with our mouth that aren't true with our life. Now, hey, don't quit discipleship. Get your heart right. So that the things that you speak are really truth. Go over to chapter 12 and look at what Jeremiah says. Jeremiah 12. Look at the last part of of verse 2. Jeremiah says, Thou art near in their mouth and far from their reins. Oh, you would think when they opened their mouth, you would think they had it all together. But you're really not, God, you're not really the one that's in control of their life. You really don't have the reins. Even though, to listen to them, boy, you'd surely think so. And and turn over to the book of Haggai. You say, where in the world is that? Just go to the end of your Old Testament and just work yourself back and you'll run into it there uh, right between Zechariah and Zephaniah. Haggai chapter 2 and verse 11. Now God's telling Haggai, here's what I want you to do. Look at verse 11. Thus saith the Lord of hosts, ask now the priest concerning the law. Go to the priest and I want you to ask him a question, okay? Here's the question. If one bear holy flesh in the skirt of his garment, Okay, so here you got this 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 sacrifice that's been sanctified. It's it's holy. Okay, and you're holding this thing, and with his skirt do touch bread or pottage or wine or oil or any meat. Shall it be holy? And the priest answered and said, No. Then said Haggai, If one that is unclean by a dead body touch any of these, shall it be unclean? And the priest answered and said, "Mm, Yeah, got that. It shall be unclean. Then answered Haggai and said. So is this people, and so is this nation before me, saith the Lord. And so is every work of their hands. And that which they offer, there is unclean. That which they offer, there is unclean. And if we could try to just pull this over into the arena of discipleship. What you have here are holy words that we speak in the name of the Lord to people. But they're coming from a vessel that is contaminated. 
And, and you know what, y'all? We, we've said this all along. You're never going to be able to take that disciple where you've never been. You, you can't lift them up to a place that, that you've never actually lived. And what, what can happen, guys, is, is we can be saying all this right stuff and it become guile because the words that we speak are unholy because they come from an unholy vessel. I'm, I'm, I'm reading a, a little book right now that can just wear you out. It's called The Reformed Pastor. You've got to kind of read it a little bit slow because this Richard Baxter that wrote it wrote in the, the middle of the, the 17th century, 1657. And that, now listen, he's writing to ministers. How many ministers are in the room tonight? all of us because we have had committed to us the ministry of reconciliation now you may not stand and stand on the pulpit of wood like Ezra but you are a minister are you not you are a preacher are you not you are a teacher of the word of God are you not and, and so can we be challenged by one of our Bible believing brothers from several hundred years ago and now, now listen, please, I, I've made application of this to me, and it has worn me out, okay? Now, please, don't, don't be reading this as if this applies to Mark, Frank, Joe, and Bob. Tom. No, this applies to all of us who take the responsibility of holding that book to teach it to somebody else. Look at what he says. Take heed to yourselves, lest your example contradict your doctrine unless you lay such stumbling blocks before the blind as may be the occasion of their ruin lest you unsay with your lives what you say with your tongues and be the greatest hinderers of the success of your own labors it much hindereth our work when other men are all the week long contradicting to pe poor people in private that which we have been speaking to them from the word of God in public because we cannot be at hand to expose their folly. You understand what he, he, he's saying here? And all of you people who are involved in discipleship, you know all about this. When, when you're working with people in this community to try to reach them for, for Christ and then there's other people that are that claim to be Christians that are living ungodly lives and are just tearing down everything and we can't always be there to say now listen you don't 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 lump all of us into the that group there we can't expose all of those the phony ones that are out there but he says but it will much more hinder your work if you contradict yourselves and if your actions give your tongue the lie and if you build up an hour or two with your mouths and all the week after pull down with your hands this is the way to make men think that the word of God is but an idle tale and to make preaching seem no better than prating he that means as he speaks will surely do as he speaks certainly brethren we have very great cause to take heed what we do as well as what we say. If we will be the servants of Christ indeed, we must not be tongue servants only, but must serve Him with our deeds and be doers of the work that we may be blessed in our deed. Let me then entreat you, brethren, to do well as well as say well. Be zealous of good works. Spare not for any cost. If it may promote your master's work, maintain your innocency and walk without offense. Let your lives condemn sin and persuade men to duty. Take heed to yourselves, lest you live in those sins which you preach against in others, and lest you be guilty of that which daily you condemn. Will you make it your work to magnify God, and when you have done, dishonor Him as much as others? Will you proclaim Christ's governing power and yet contemn it and rebel yourselves? Will you preach His laws and wilf willfully break them? 
If sin be evil, why do you live in it? If it be not, why do you dissuade men from it? If it be dangerous, how dare you venture on it? If it be not, why do you tell men so? If God's threatenings be true, why do you not fear them? If they be false, why do you needlessly trouble men with them and put them into such frights without a cause? And are, are you getting this? Hey, if this stuff that we're communicating to people in discipleship, if it isn't true, then why are we laying it on people like it is? Do you know the judgment of God that they who commit such things are worthy of death? And yet will you do them? Thou that teachest another, teachest not, and teachest thou not thyself? Thou that sayest a man should not commit adultery or be drunk or covetous, art thou such thyself? Thou that makest thy boast of the law, through breaking the law, dishonorest thou God? What? Shall the same tongue speak evil that speaketh against evil? Shall those lips censure and slander and backbite your neighbor that cry down these and the like in others? Take heed to yourselves, lest you cry down sin and yet do not overcome it. Lest while you seek to bring it down in others, you bow to it and become its slaves yourselves. For of whom a man is overcome, of the same he is brought unto, into bondage. To whom ye yield yourselves servants to obey, his servants ye are to whom ye obey, whether of sin unto death or of obedience unto righteousness. Oh, brethren, it's easier to chide at sin to, than to overcome it. Oh, brethren, what men should we be in skill, resolution, and unwearied diligence who have all this to do? And I ask you, if you've taken the responsibility of being a discipler in this church, what skill ought we to impart in that? And what unwearied diligence should we give day and night to that? Did Paul cry out, who is sufficient for these things? And shall we be proud or careless or lazy as if we were sufficient? As Peter saith to every Christian, in consideration of our great approaching change, what manner of persons ought we to be in all holy conversation of our and godliness? So may I say to every minister, seeing all these things lie upon our hands, what manner of persons ought we to be in all holy endeavors and resolutions for our work? Take heed to yourselves, lest you are weak through your own negligence and lest you mar the work of God by your weakness. And, and guys, as we start this new year, we've got to make sure there's no guile found in our mouth. The things that we say, the things that we communicate to one another, they ought to be things that minister grace unto the hearers. Things that are good to the use of edifying, Paul says. Sometimes we need to keep our mouth shut. And sometimes we need to open our mouth, lest guile is found through the things that we don't say. And because of so many people who are ministers in this church, we need to make sure that we're not saying things with our lips that we're unsaying with our lives. To whom much is given, of him shall much be required. And guys, no more guile. How about it? Is that your determination? Through the things you say, through how you live your life, that's what God's called us to be as a, as a church. And what a statement. 144,000. And in their mouth is found no guile. Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth. Now, Lord, would you, would you help us as a church to apply these, these things to our lives in so many ways for us to, to mess your work up. And, and Lord, we, we want to be vessels in these last days that, that you can use to, 
to glorify yourself. I pray for those that are here tonight that don't know you as their Savior. Pray that tonight would be the night when you have, even though we've not preached a salvation message, we pray that this would be the night that you would take truth to their heart and and show them their need for a Savior. We pray for the salvation of people's souls in this room tonight. And with our heads bowed, for you that may be here tonight and don't know the Lord, we do want to invite you, as our service is concluded, our pastors remain up at the front of this room, and we'd love the opportunity of just meeting you and maybe talking to you for just a few minutes. If you've got questions uh, about what it really means to, to know God and to have your sin forgiven, to receive Christ, we would welcome the opportunity of connecting you with someone tonight that could take the Word of God and show you and, and spend some time with you and answer some questions uh, tonight. So we, we invite you tonight to, to come. In, in church...